From the Raptors to homegrown talent in high school, the NCAA, and around the NBA, Toronto basketball fans, this is your home court with Megan McPeak, Dwayne Watson, and Josh Lewinberg on TSN 1050, the voice of Toronto basketball. Welcome back inside the Sport Check studios here, TSN 1050. Josh Lundberg, Dwayne Watson, Meg McPeak. We know the matchup. Game one goes Monday. We have it here on the station. Hall Jones will be on the call, but one man who is familiar with it will hopefully be able to chat with him in a moment. Louis Skoll, I know you were just talking before we went to break of one of the nicer guys in the NBA. It's, yeah. You know, these guys... They don't necessarily always enjoy talking to the media and, and the media you, you availability they have to give. <laughs> but I know just from your experience and what you've said, he was always one that was willing to give us time. Super generous with his time. Super generous in sharing his wisdom, um, not just with us in the media, but obviously his teammates as well. He was only here for a year, yet it, it felt like a lot more than that. I, I think the guys in the room would tell you that it felt a lot, a lot more than that. Yeah. Um, in the playoffs, his role was sort of limited, I thought. I mean, he wore down a little bit towards the end of the year after a great start to the season. Um, only played in or at least only started in a few of those games against Cleveland. But his value, especially at this time of the year last year, was more off the court where mm -hmm. his leadership and his veteran savvy, I thought, really made a difference. Uh, those are things that every team needs, especially yeah. a winning team, a guy in the room that's not only been there before and, and, and knows what it takes to win like Scola does. I mean, he's been around the NBA, has had success internationally, uh, internationally yeah. as well. But he's a guy who, I mean, he's so calm, cool, and collected. A number of guys in the Raptors room last year were crediting him with sort of keeping them uh, calm, keeping them on the same page, the voice of reason when adversity hit in the playoffs. So... Uh, I mean, it'll be interesting to see where he goes from here. Uh, he was waived uh, about uh, midway through the season this year with Brooklyn as they were wanting to see what I think a lot of their younger guys right. had. But uh, I, I still think there are teams in this league that need a guy like Luis Scola both on and off the court. As I said, he turns 37 uh, years old tomorrow. Um, if and when he, he joins us here, we'll, we'll ask him uh, if uh, we'll see him in the NBA next year if he still has something to give to an NBA team? Well, you talk about that in terms of a veteran player. Every team that's trying to get to the next step wants a guy in the locker room who can be that you know, veteran presence, but also contribute on the court. He's that guy, and I mean, even Anthony Bennett, of all people, he was something he really helped kind of get in the weight room, get him focused on that game, and like, he's so valuable in the locker room, as you mentioned, to his team. Um, but he also contributed. I mean, he was a guy no one thought was going to be the starting point, power forward for this team, and he did that shooting the three ball to his credit as well. So the international success is, is great. He's beaten Canada. He's beaten a number of teams. Um, he's an icon uh, at home. And, um, you know, his career has been, you know, it's still going, but it's been great. Well, he's, he's altered his game, and he's yeah. had to with the way the league has changed. At 35 years old with the Raptors last year, uh, he added a, a three-point shot, something that wasn't a, a big part of his game at all uh, for the whatever it was, nine, ten years before he joined Toronto. But he expanded his range to the point in which he was one of the Raptors' better three-point shooters last year. He shot it at about a 40% clip. And I've been told by a number, a, at least a couple of guys around the Raptors organization that no one in franchise history has bench-pressed 
Yeah, more than Luis Scola. Yeah, he's a weight room. He's a weight room rat for sure. Is do you think that that at you know at 36 and whatever how many hours before he does turn 37 tomorrow that just you know we see it we see it in football with Tom Brady we see it we we've seen it with Vince Carter Dwayne Wade even just just re- being able to come back from injuries do you feel that the way that Louis School is taking care of his body that that w- is what has allowed him to continue to play even with the amount of hours he puts on his body playing internationally as well Without yeah. question. Uh, he, he's never been like, I mean, he, it's, it's not a great comparison because Vince Carter obviously was a super athletic player. Yeah. Uh, Luis would be the first to tell you that that wasn't ever his game. He's mm-hmm. always been a very methodical type of player, a very smart yeah. player that's used his, his head and his knowledge of the game. Uh, as well as that strength that he has more yeah. than athleticism. So it's allowed him to age gracefully and, and to adjust his game yeah. over time. But he is in remarkable shape. He's kept himself in, in great shape. He works, he works hard. So as I said, I, I mean, I, I still think he has something left to give based yeah. on what we saw last year and based on what we we saw this year maybe it's it's not in a big role it's not as a starting player i don't think uh, on a winning team but especially on a young team like brooklyn it was interesting i talked to luis when he was here with the nets earlier this season and he was talking about how it's obviously a very different experience from what he was used to winning with the raptors last year but he he really embraced the challenge of helping these young guys learn the nba learn what it takes to be a pro and imparting some of that wisdom. I, I think that's something that, I mean, it, going back to the Vince Carter comparison, that's something that Vince has really enjoyed doing over the years. And you need guys like yeah. that, especially because it's a different league. The, the guys like Charles Oakley, they're, they're few and far between these days. Right. It's a younger man's league, I guess, but there's always going to be a place for those guys that help bring the young players along and train them on how to be pros. Just having a couple technical difficulties trying to get uh, Luis on the line, but I, I kind of want to touch on what you've said about you know with it being the the more modern NBA is turning into a younger man's game, but yet we still see the veteran players. When you look at this this ra- this Raptor squad, they are a, on the younger side, but not as young as we've seen them in the past. You bring in surge you bring in PJ who has zero playoff experience. Now he's got six games of NBA playoff experience. Would you say that? Essentially, Serge is their veteran guy on the no, team. No, yes and no. Like, I mean, he's got more games of playoff experience than anyone on the team, and he's been to an NBA final. So, I think, I mean, he certainly helps in that regard in the leadership department. But I, I think the the voice in the room is PJ Tucker. Yeah. I, I don't care that this is his first experience in the playoffs. He very similar career path to Luis Scola. Actually, I yeah. believe both of them were second round picks. Now. Uh, PJ got a, a start in the NBA, whereas um, Luis didn't come to the league until his mid to late 20s. But they both uh, have had success playing internationally. Um, it's allowed them to then, uh, towards their later 20s, contribute. Both of them actually played together uh, right. with the Phoenix Suns. That was PJ's, I believe, first year back in the NBA. So it, it's all of that. It's that... Uh, versatility of experience it's not just in the nba it's not just internationally it's both they've won at both levels 
Um, and, and then it's also a lot to do with their personality, their perspective that maybe they did gain by having to go through so many different things exactly. in, in their career. Uh, so I, I do think that PJ is sort of that uh, Luis Scola type of calming influence and, and veteran um, veteran presence in, in the room right now. Somebody that they desperately, I thought, needed before pulling off that trade and in you February. Talk about basketball IQ, and that's something that both of those guys have. I mean, they're not the most physically gifted athletes, mm -hmm. but they take care of their bodies. They play the wall, ball well. They play position basketball, and they play with their heads. And that's going to keep you. You could talk about younger athletic players, but that the head is going to be the body every time. And at some point, you're not going to have that athleticism. Vince Carter, I mean, he can still get up. He's probably a bad example. But he's not only relying on athleticism to play the game. I think that's what Louis Scola does. That's what P.J. Tucker does. And they use their, their, their minds and their bodies as much as relying on athleticism to play the game. The Raptors went into the season as the third youngest team in the NBA. And it was sort of a changing of the guard a little bit because last year, as I mentioned, you have Scola, who was 35, 36, I guess, towards the end of the year in the locker room. Years before that, you had John Salmons and Chuck Hayes. These yeah. are role players that sort of served as the veteran uh, presence, the leader in the room. And I think you need a guy like that. So this yeah. year you transition, I guess, to Lowry and DeRozan taking on more of a vocal role, more of a leadership role, which is important for them as well because you want your best players to also be uh, among yep. your most vocal guys. But I do think you need some veteran support in the room to sort of give credence to what those guys are saying and, and uh, give them that support. Yeah. Um, so to pull off those trades, I think, was huge in that regard because I think they were really missing a guy like Scola in the room earlier this season. And the key to that is that, and both those guys, that we talked about the similarities, able to back it up on the court. It's yeah. one thing to have a veteran in the locker room who's done their been experience, but if they haven't done, you can only take it so much because it's like, yeah, yeah, you, but you're not that guy anymore. The fact that they can go on the court and perform and help and execute and contribute to what they're doing and back it up helps everyone else to fall in line. They need those guys too, man. I, I mean... I think we saw that over the last couple months where you, you fall apart in that game against OKC of that players only meeting. And then, of course, there was the game three loss uh, against Milwaukee, uh, having guys in the room like Ibaka and like Tucker to sort of settle everyone down. I mean, even Lowry and DeRozan. They, they are great yeah. players. They have become leaders. But Lowry, I think, more than anyone needs that guy as well to just say, okay, well, let's keep things in perspective here. Right. This is what we need to do. This is what I've been through before and we'll be, and we'll be able to, to do here. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think PJ probably more than anyone else has taken on that role this year. Sometimes technology isn't on our side. We're going to keep trying to get Luis uh, and, and this technology thing figured out to try and get him on the line. We'll take a break here. Keep it locked to TSN at 1050's home court. Welcome back inside the TSN 1050 Sport Check studios. As of right now, games one, two, three, and four will go Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Sunday. Monday, Wednesday, Friday are all 7 p.m. starts. Sunday is a lovely 3.30 p.m. start. Guess what? What's that? They're all on TSN 1050. So myself and the guys will keep you covered. Josh will join us in studio for game one and two. And then I have a question. you'll be back down courtside joining us for two and this three. This is both four. of you. Okay. How important is it for the Raptors to steal one of these first two games in Cleveland, do you guys think? Huge. Huge. And, and going back to what I said earlier, where it's not necessarily about, I mean, obviously you, you want to be winning these games, but even in losses, 
you can live with it if they're competitive right. games. So, I mean, you want to steal one of these games in Cleveland, but the worst thing that can happen at this point, especially coming off of what was a near collapse in Game 6 against the Bucks, is to go into Cleveland like last year in Game 1. How much did they lose that game by? 30, 31. And we know about I Game 1 for the Raps. They cannot I lose. I actually think, and I don't know if you guys would agree or disagree, or semi of both, I think Game 1 is the game that they can steal because... I think it's the rust versus rest for the Cavs. You you look at them with eight or nine days off, and I kind I, I disclaimer same, sto- same storyline we used last I year. I follow Richard Jefferson <laughs> on Snapchat, and they've been doing some serious cardio workouts. But I'm wondering with even the way that they finished off Indiana and, and had four tough games against Indiana, the Raptors close out. I'm wondering if if they've got a little rust, but it might actually with this Raptors squad. I feel they have a better chance to actually take game one, unlike the way that we saw game one go last year. It was, a, it was the same storyline going into game one last year. The Cavs had played the minimum amount of games going in after a couple of sweeps in the first and the second round. The Raptors had played the maximum amount of games, 14, after a couple seven-game series. And I, there was like a less than a 48-hour turnaround right. between game seven all, against I mean, Miami. 14 games, you're tired out too, so... Cleveland was in. I believe they yeah. were in like Miami too. They yeah. were like on the mini- mini vacation. vacation and stuff last year. And again, Raptors I lose by 31. The three losses in Cleveland last year in the conference finals: 31 points, 19 points, 38 points. So that's what can't happen. Yeah, and I look at this Cleveland team. I mean, they are prime for the playoffs. Regular season was just a, a formality for them. They focus. They get wound up. They get ready for playoff games. And you know, you mentioned they swept last year and they were ready. So. Um, they already be ready, but I think, you know, we talk about offensive toughness, we talk about punching first. I think they have to bring that in this first game to show the Cl- Cleveland that, hey, we're not the same team we were last year. You mentioned Richard Jefferson's Snapchat. He uh, had a, a video that he put up of the Cavs watching the Bucks game. game six of Raptors Bucks together and aggressively rooting for the Bucks. Now, the reason that was given there is because they didn't want to practice the next day. <laughs> Do you guys think that the reason why the Cavs were aggressively rooting for the Bucks was A, because they didn't want to practice the next day, B, because they were hoping that whoever they faced would be coming off of a seven-game series with one day of rest in between the two series, C, because they wanted to face the Bucks and not the Raptors, <laughs> Or D, all of the above? I'm going D, all of the above. I think it's a, a, a little of everything. But, like, I, I don't I, I know. I know game ones have historically have not been good for the Raptors. I know what we saw last year. I was at game five in that 38-point loss, and it was tough to sit in the crowd in the queue when people know that you're a Raptors fan and you're there to watch them, and they are demolishing your squad but I honestly think that this year the, the rest versus rust conversation is, is more relevant than it was last year. Just based on the fact that it's coming earlier than what it did last year. The Raptors are coming, yes, they're coming off of six games. They've got a couple days of, of rest for themselves, but also too, the squad is different. This roster is different. They're going in with a different mindset. They're not exhausted after two seven game tough series. So I think they might be, I, I really think they might be able to take advantage of them 
on just, you know, eight or nine days watching film, watching the rest of the playoffs going on, doing their own shoot arounds and stuff. So I think it might be different with this narrative. My biggest well, sorry, my biggest concern ahead. is that this is a veteran-laden team, yes. these Cavs. I mean, we talk about how old they are and stuff. So, so these guys know, like Kyle Korver, Richard Jefferson, Channing Frye, LeBron James, Darren Williams, they've been in a lot of games. So they know how the playoffs work, and I think they know how to prepare themselves. So that's why I'm a little concerned with it and me not being a factor as much. Well, Megan makes a good point there. And I'm not even sure that yes. You <laughs> <laughs> Celebrate. <laughs> Three gold stars. Um, I, I'm, I'm not sure that it's even something that I considered because we've been looking at – the, the fact that the Raptors are playing the Cavaliers in the second round instead of the conference finals right. as a bad thing that it, the hope I think for a lot of people was to avoid this team and avoid LeBron for as long as possible. I mean a few people said well what does it matter you've got to face them anyways but as I always say for basically everyone in the organization staff coaches players front office everybody if, if, the more rounds you can win the further you can go in the playoffs, the better it is for everybody. Right. So this was not a good thing. But there is something to be said about, okay, well, you're facing the Cavs now two weeks earlier. Yeah. So theoretically, you should have two weeks less of the bumps and the bruises and the exhaustion that we saw the Raptors have last year. Because who knows? And it, I mean, knowing the Raptors... If they would have faced somebody else in the second round, that probably would have gone six or seven games right. also. And exactly. then you face Cleveland, uh, who may have swept in, in the second round. It would have been the same situation as last year. So there's your positive, is that they, they aren't as beaten up as they were last and year. And to add to that, if the Cavs had another series to get in the zone, get ready, because they weren't yep. that great against Indiana. No, so they if they not. played another team, okay, we've got the Kings that we're flowing, we're a machine. Now they face the Raptors. They, they're going to be trying to still learn that on the fly against the Raptors, which does bode well for them. So. I want to go to the, to, the, to the fans really quickly before we, uh, we, we go to break. Weren't the greatest in game one and two. Yeah, that's right, fans. I'm calling you out. Dwayne even, Casey did it even, too. Even, yeah. even, you know, the road games in the square, I know it was game three that was canceled because of inclement weather. There was thunder and lightning, so that was more just safety. So I'm not even going to count game three. Um, but game four on the road, not, I mean, we had it because that was last, last Saturday, if I'm not mistaken, um, that we had it. And it was, you know, it was slowly filling up, but it did fill up. Then, you know, we have game five at home. And that was probably, I don't know about you, Dwayne and Josh, but I think that was probably the best fans that we had. Are the fans important for this round, especially because it's against Cleveland? Do we expect them to come out in droves the way we saw last year and the way even the Leafs fans came out for the Leafs in their first round series? That's a good question. I think there are a number of factors why uh, the crowd wasn't the same as, as we've seen it over the last few years. There was a few things. One, I just don't think it was as loud yeah, um, as, as aggressive. But there was also, I mean, there was a late arriving crowds right. in, in yeah. a couple of those games as well. A number of factors. Obviously, traffic and whatever Gardner closures there were played a part. Uh, the early start played a, a part in it as well. But a, another factor, and I think this was a big one, is the novelty of merely making the playoffs yep. had worn off. Yep. Uh, a mm -hmm. few years ago in that Brooklyn series, the idea of the Raptors, the Raptors were right. back in the playoffs. Yep. It was a madhouse in the ACC. And even the, the next few years, it was still very new. That's why I think it was crazy in Milwaukee exactly. this year and surprised and a lot Toronto of people. For Leafs. Exactly. Yep. So I, I think that sort of wore off a little bit and, and with 
um, that I think expectations have been so much higher now. More yeah. is expected of the Raptors, but most people, I would hope, understand that this is it for yeah. them. This is what we've been waiting for. This is, as I wrote yesterday, judgment day for them. Uh, it, it's not about the conference finals or whatever. They've got to get back to where they were. No, they, they are back to where they were in the sense that they're playing the team that you need to beat in order to take the next step. Right. So if there was ever a time for Toronto to go crazy, to embrace this Raptors team, it's now. And another yeah. factor, I think, in the first round was the Leafs were around as well, sort mm -hmm. of uh, yeah. diluting the support from maybe the casual fan. But uh, the Jays are not good. Yeah. The Leafs are not <laughs> around. And the Raptors are playing the, the series that's going to determine um, what they're made of, I, I think. so, yeah. And ultimately, maybe what the future of this organization looks like. So now's the time, Toronto. I think they'll be there. We continue on here from home court. We'll hear from DeMar DeRozan outside of practice on the other side of the break. Keep it locked right here on TSN 1050. Welcome back inside the TSN 1050 Sports Check studio. Josh Lewinberg, Dwayne Watson, Megan McPeak. Joining us now on the line, NBA reporter for ESPN, Dave McMenamin. Dave, thank you for taking some time out of your Saturday and joining us here on home court. We appreciate it. Megan, Josh, and Dwayne, of course. Thanks for having me on. So we'll jump right into it. We obviously know the matchup for the second round. Cleveland and Toronto, kind of a remake of last year's Eastern Conference Finals just a little earlier. When you look at this matchup, what do you feel is the most important thing that the Raptors need to do against this Cavs team to come away with a series win? Well, really, I, I think the way the Raptors would have a, a route for success is to limit the Cavs' explosive offense. Uh, one by trying to take away their shooter's ability to get free for open shots. Uh, but really the way those open shots are usually created is by the dribble penetration of both LeBron James and Kyrie Irving. So it's, it's a multi-pronged approach that the Raptors would have to be able to achieve to shut down the Cavs' chances of advancing. Um, and, and you know, obviously there's a reason why the Cavs have been so successful the last couple of years because their offense is so potent. Dave, uh, there, there seemed to be a couple schools of thought on the Cavs going into the playoffs. Some believed they were uh, vulnerable, and others seemed to think that uh, once the playoffs roll around, they'll flip that switch. I'm not sure we saw enough in the first round to prove either of those theories correct definitively. They, they got their sweep, but the defense uh, even still looked beatable. Uh, did, did you see enough in the first round to, to really be on sort of one end of those two theories? Well, it's interesting. So they are completely healthy, basically the first time all season. And with that health, them being the oldest roster remaining in the playoffs, uh, you never have to play back-to-backs, never have to play four games and five nights. Some of the things that really plagued them in the regular season just don't exist right now. So those are things going in the Cavs' favor. I mean, I guess it, you would say, sure, there were moments they looked vulnerable against Indiana, but it's one thing being beatable and one thing getting beat. <laughs> so it's funny yep. the way the Cavs have been perceived coming out of the first round, where, you know, a team like San Antonio, you know, they go six games with Memphis. I'm not so sure people are saying, well, oh, well that, that means the Spurs can't win at all, you know, or, or – 
you know, the Rockets go in six games. That means that the Rockets can't win at all. It, it, it's been interesting uh, just to see, you know, uh, they, they took care of business. Uh, they were not a complete full team that took care of all 48 minutes when they took care of business, but they got it done. And uh, this Cavs group is pretty confident right now. It's a Cavs group that knows that they're going to have LeBron James entering the second round, having only played four games over the last three weeks. Uh, so his body will be just about as fresh as it possibly can be at this stage of his career. And uh, it, it's a team that feels like they're starting to, to find its stride as, as certain players who had not really had a chance to integrate themselves for various reasons, in particular a guy like Darren Williams, is currently playing the best basketball he has since joining the team. So uh, I don't know if it's flipping a switch, but there was encouraging signs about what the Cavs showed in the first round. Well, Dave, you talked about Darren Williams, and obviously P.J. Tucker and Sir DeBacco weren't in the last year's matchup, but on your side, Darren Williams and, of course, uh, Kyle Korver weren't there. How much of a factor are these guys going to play in this series for what they can bring offensively? Well, Korver was almost nowhere to be found to start that series against Indiana. You think it only took five total shots in games one and two. Of course, in that comeback in game three, they were down 26 points in the third quarter. He was an integral part there. When the Cavs have looked their best this season, it's when Corver has been a flamethrower. And getting him activated will certainly help them moving forward because, again, they have such smart lead ball dominant guys in Kyrie and LeBron and who both can break about just about anyone off the dribble. Uh, you find a guy like Corver who knows how to move out the ball. I mean, you know, say you get. You know, every quarter you get three easy points, right? <laughs> then all of a sudden you're looking up and you're like, oh, there's a, there's a nice little 10-point cushion. So he's really important. And Darren, again, hasn't really been a bright spot since the Cavs acquired him. Uh, but he started to show something in that first round. And, and that'll be important because we know, you know, the guys that had, you know, really big moments for the Raptors off the bench. And Corey Joseph with that huge three in the closeout game and, you know, Powell had his moments and, you know, these are the guys that the Cavs are going to have to contend with with their second unit. That second unit, as you mentioned, Dave, was such a big factor for Cleveland last year, particularly in Cleveland with Channing Frye coming in, stretching the floor. Uh, this season now, Jonas Valanciunas uh, back, didn't really play much in that series last year, recovering from that ankle injury. Uh, the Raptors can go bigger or they can go smaller. Uh, how do you see the, the rotation, I guess, playing out for the Cavaliers, knowing that they can do the same? Well, going into the series, Ty has basically let it be known that he feels like he has 11 guys that deserve to play in the playoffs, but he's only going to go with the nine-guy nine rotation. He thinks that's the only feasible way to get guys enough minutes where they can, they can contribute, feel good about themselves, and the team doesn't lose a flow. And so that means right now the odd man out, or the odd men out, are Derek Williams and Richard Jefferson. Uh, Iman Shepard's going to be getting some burn with that second unit. Channing Fry was the most uh, consistent bench player for the Cavs in the first round. You know, and of course we mentioned Corver uh, and Darren Williams in that group as well. Uh, the, I think a big question mark the Cavs want to know is how the. Raptors are going to try to guard LeBron individually. Uh, will that be a heavy dose of Damari Carroll and P.J. Tucker? And if that is the case, um, 
can that actually be really playing into the Cavs' advantage? Because LeBron won't have to necessarily worry about guarding those guys one-on-one on the opposite end, and he can play that roamer defensive role that he played against Indiana where he averaged just about three blocks and three steals for the series. Dave, what have you noticed in the sense of the, you know, the Cavs facing a, a different-looking Raptors squad than what they faced uh, last year in the Eastern Conference Finals, but they're also facing them a couple weeks earlier and coming off of a six-game series? I mean, you know, I do these radio hits all season long, and, and it, everyone asks me, you know, what's the team that the Cavs have to look out for? And my answer has always been Toronto, uh, whether it was record or not. Toronto's the only other team in the Eastern Conference who has, like, a program going on, much like the Cavs do. They have a coach that's been there. They have a core that's been there. They know who they are. They know what they're about. Um, again, they can withstand something like the Milwaukee series where you fall down, lose the first game. You know, you're down two games at one point in the series. You have a, you know, a fiery film session, and that's not the sign of a team falling apart, but the team pulling together. And, you know, the, the Raptors, top to bottom, are, are as deep or, or, you know, I think they're as balanced in terms of roster construction as any opponent the Cavs will play throughout the course of the postseason. And that's, that's a scary proposition because if all those guys are, you know, playing to the best of their ability, they have the chance to beat the Cavs. And, and so this, I expect this to be a drag-out series, uh, you know, probably six or even seven games. You know, went six games last year when you mentioned Valanciunas wasn't hurt. Oh, Valanciunas wasn't healthy. Tamari Caro wasn't healthy. They, of course, did not have P.J. Tucker and Serge Ibaka at that point. Um, uh, this is going to be a tough one. And, uh, you know, what could, quite frankly, just come down to home court advantage that the Cavs have over the Raptors. Dave, you co-wrote a book with Brian Windhorst, The Return of the King, LeBron James, the Cleveland Cavaliers, and the greatest comeback in NBA history. Uh, what was your experience, one, working with, with Windhorst on the book and, you know, just putting this book together? Tell us a little bit more about it. Yeah, it's been very rewarding. Um, you know, Brian has been an ESPN colleague of mine for nearly a decade, but ever since I moved to Cleveland and the start of 2014-2015 season, we started working very closely with one another. And the story on its surface was pretty incredible. Just the one where we begin it, LeBron James leaves Miami after making four straight finals appearances. Uh, he has two future Hall of Fame teammates, Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh, and at that point, Wade hadn't really fallen off the shelf, and at that point, Chris Bosh did not have signs of serious health scares. Uh, so that's the amazing start, and then the amazing finish, of course, everyone watched the finals last year of the Cavs, the only team to ever come down 3-1 against a team that won 73 games in the regular season. But to kind of just put that as the, the structure of the house, if you will, and then you know, fill in all of the interior decorating with the little details we could get through our reporting, which, you know, included dozens of new independent interviews that we conducted this summer after the Cavs have won the championship. It's a product we're both proud of. Uh, we've, we've gotten great response from readers. Uh, and, you know, I, I think Cavs fans who have experienced a their team kind of been dissected and, and really portrayed in, a very underwhelming light all season long. Uh, it's a reminder that like that stuff doesn't necessarily matter. <laughs> that what matters is is winning, and this group has proven that they 
have what it takes to win at the ultimate stage. And people can find the book where, Dave? Uh, Megan, it's on Amazon. It's on uh, iTunes. If you want to get the audio book version or the digital book version. And um, we also have a website, cabs2016book.com, where there's other you know, book retail uh, outlets you could get it. Awesome. Dave, thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate your insight from the uh, Cavs perspective ahead of this series. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Dave. Once again, ESPN NBA reporter Dave McMiniman joining us as he covers the Cavs unlike no one else when it comes to the NBA. Keep it locked. We continue on. We'll, you know, touch on NBA playoffs. We got Luis Scola coming up. Luis Scola. He was working out. He was working out. (laughs) Of course he was. We were talking about it. We got go to we gotta ask him what is his regimen is now and how at the ripe age of now 37 tomorrow, he's able to keep the body going in a tough NBA schedule. Keep it locked right here on TSN 1050. Welcome back inside the TSN 1050 Sport Check Studios. Just steps from the Air Canada Center. Megan McPeak, Dwayne Watson, Josh Lewenberg joining us now on the line. He's in New York City, former Toronto Raptor, Luis Scola. Luis, thank you for taking some time out of your day. We appreciate it. How you doing? No problem. I'm doing well. So, Luis, you with the Raptors last year, you obviously are familiar with the Cavs and the Raptors in this matchup. What have you seen from this Raptors squad in this season that you feel will be different for them against the Cavs uh, starting on Monday? Well, you know, principally, I think the most important difference between this year and last year is the fact that the team being there before. You know, last year we never been there before. Not only the team as a franchise, but also the players and uh, the fans and like the whole. You know, we we never been in that situation. Getting to that situation was the main goal. It's very hard to jump steps. You're going through steps. You first make yourself a playoff team, then you make yourself like a home court advantage team, a 50-win team, then you're trying to make it to the second round, and then you're trying to make it to the conference. So you you uh, you go through stages, and it's hard to skip those. So I think last year, uh, the team put, uh, make, make the first, make the next step, take it to the next level, and this is what comes after that. You know, now you have to compete and, uh, and break that barrier and move on to the next, like, make it a, a step even more more forward. Luis, uh, first of all, it's great to talk to you, and I know I'm a day early, but happy birthday. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you very much. Last year, of course, you, you were the veteran guy in the room, and a number of your teammates uh, in various points of the playoffs credited you as being sort of that calming influence now as you said you've been around most of these guys in the room now uh pj tucker you you played with i believe in in phoenix uh and and i'm sure you're familiar with sergi baca as well who do you think in this room is is sort of that veteran presence that calming influence that's bringing that leadership uh vibe and and role now well well you know i think it's all for the raptors it's all about kyle demar you know, I know um, everybody tries to bring pieces around them and, and whatever whatever piece it is that makes the team go to the next level. But it's, it's really all about those two guys. Kyle is an extremely great leader. He's an extremely great player. And, 
And, you know, he needs to take, he and Demar, they need to take the team to the next level, you know. And the, all the other small pieces that goes around them, they can, they can make their job easier or more difficult. But it's really all about those two. And, they, they, you know, they've been doing it. They've been doing it. They make the team like a playoff team. They make it a great playoff team. They make it a 50-win team. They pass the first round. They pass the second round. Well, now they need to be the champions. They need to be the best player in the world. They need to, you know, they need to make the next step. And, uh, you know, I'm pretty confident they will. I'm not sure if it's going to be this year or next year, but eventually they're going to get there. And I, I truly believe that all the things you can put around them, they, they make their jobs easier or more difficult if you don't or if you do a bad job. But ultimately it will be uh, the team will go as far as those two guys take them. Well, Luis, obviously playing with these guys and being in this situation with this team last year, what, what weaknesses do you see in the Cavaliers? Obviously, they're not the same team as they were last year, but what does this team need to do to take advantage of the fact that, as you mentioned, this Raptors team has made the steps, has made the growth, has been through the playoff victories and, and defeats. What do they need to do against this Cleveland Cavaliers team this, year, this round? Well, you know, to be the team that's such a good team like the Cavaliers, there's a bunch of things that has to happen. You know, you have to beat them four times. So the first thing you want to do is try to make yourself in a good situation. Uh, and that, that good, the initial good situation would be home court finish. Well, now, obviously, it's off the book. There's, the Raptors cannot do that anymore this season. But that's what you need to try to do eventually, initially, to try to get more chances to win. But once you're in this situation, you have to go play there. You know you have to beat them on their own home court. And you know you, know, you, know you really have to do it quick from the very get-go. Like when, when we went to get there last year, that was our first time as a team. And like majority of our whole franchise never been in that situation before. And we show up and really they beat us very, very clearly the first two games. We, we weren't able to compete. Uh, so if you don't do that, then the series becomes really, really difficult for you. We were able to fight and to win games at home and to make a, you know, uh, to compete a little bit longer. But it's very hard when you are one series, when you lose the first game by 20 plus or you lose the first two by double digits. It's really hard. So you got to you got to jump on them from the very first time from the very first minute of the first game and you gotta compete. Even if you lose the first game or even if you lose the first two games, it has to be the sensation that this is gonna be a war, this is gonna be a grind. You you might beat us, but it's gonna be extremely hard. Uh, so that's the first thing I think the Raptors has to do if they want to have any chance to be the Cavaliers. And then you, you need a little bit of timing, you know. And this is, I think, this is the good news for the Raptors. The Cavs, yes, they win the championship. Yes, they do have LeBron and all those players and Love and they got a bunch of talent. But this is like, they're not as solid as they were last year. Now they can pick it up and became, become the, the same team that they were last year on the finals. But up until this point, they didn't really show that. So I think it's good time, it's a good opportunity for the Raptors to take advantage of a team that is not at their top of their game and to make an impact, to make some noise. Luis, you guys lost the, the first couple games in that series last year by a combined 50 points. You come back home, you win games three and four. Outside of the obvious, the, the home court advantage that you mentioned, what, what was the biggest difference between the Toronto Raptors in games one and two and the Toronto Raptors in games three and four? 
I think we we were just too new for the situation, and we didn't know what hit us. When we tried to realize, we were already down twenty, and you can't you can't do that in a, in a playoff game versus a team like that. You can't do that. So this is a thing that the team learned last year, and I think they're going to do better this year. You can't start playing on game three. You can't show up in the first game thinking, okay, let's see what let's see how this goes. No, you just gotta. You know, you just gotta go there and get it. It's, you're gonna rip it from their hand, from their hands. It's, they're not gonna give it to you. So um, I think that's what the team learned last year, as far as being in, in the spotlight and a very, very high point of the season in the playoffs versus a really, really good team playing on the road. Well, this is what we need to do. We didn't do last year. But we know now, and we're going to do it better. I think hopefully that's the, the top process of the Raptors right now, and uh, and that's why I feel they got more chances this year that they do ne- that they did last year that we did last year. Norm Powell obviously was stepped up really big as a rookie last year for the Raptors, and he's he was kind of the key to the last round series against Milwaukee. What can you say about him, and what you've seen him as a growth as a player? You say uh, Norman Powell? Yeah. Norman, I, I'm a huge fan of Norman. I think he needs to play a lot, you know, for, for the Raptors to be... The, uh, with him on the court, I think they're a lot more dangerous. And I think his career, is he's got a bright future ahead of him. There are a lot of good things that are going to happen for him soon. Um, maybe they're not happening as fast as he wanted to happen, but there's no way around it. He's going to get to a lot of places in the NBA. Um, he is a great player, but he's also he's got a great personality and he's got also a great mind. He works, he knows what to do, he never complains, he's been in and out of the rotations. He's been doing he's been doing everything right for at least the whole year that I've been there and I knew for talking to people on the team that he's continued to do even better after I left. So a lot of good things are gonna happen for him very soon. And I do think if the Rockets are to beat Cavaliers in this series, he's going to have to play a big role. I, I don't see any other way the Raptors can um, can compete without uh, without using a lot of Norman. I, I want to ask you about P.J. Tucker. As we said, you played with him back in Phoenix. I believe that was his first year back in the NBA after five years uh, overseas. What, what was that like? Uh, and what can you tell us about PJ that we we might not already know? He's good. That was a good pickup they did uh, on mid season. I I felt like, and I had the chance to talk to Masai a couple of weeks after they did it, and I, I told him, you know, that I thought that was uh, going to help them big time uh, because uh, PJ can guard pretty much any position on the court, and that gives you a lot of flexibility, and there's a lot of things you can do around him. He plays hard, and, you know, he brings a lot of things to the table. I think, um, yeah, it's true what you say. When I played with him, uh, he was coming from Europe. It was pretty much, he's, he has been around a little bit, but it was pretty much um, his first chance in the NBA for real, and he did a great job. He got better, but after after that year, he continued to get to get better um, tremendously. I think he's got a great career uh, right now, and he's going to be able to do some more stuff in the near future because the way he plays, a lot of teams, they want those players. So um, I think he's, he's a great pickup for the Raptors. And I also think he's going to be very crucial, especially guarding LeBron. Well, he could guard, he could guard LeBron. He could also guard Kevin Love. He, 
you can guard multiple positions. So um, you need guys guys like that to to make an impact. We only have about a minute, Luis, but uh, tell us what the future holds for Luis Scola. Uh, do, do you see yourself playing another year or two in the NBA, or is there a, another challenge that that you're taking on? I don't. I don't see myself playing another year or two in the NBA. Uh, I'm not sure right now. The season just finished, and I'm trying to figure it out. A bunch of stuff, uh, but um, I don't want to say a percentage. But uh, I when I when I finish the year, I I thought that you know there, there was not a lot of chances that I wanted to play in the NBA next year. And as the weeks went by, that feeling didn't vanish it got worse you know so i don't i don't think i will play in the nba next year but i'm still a player and i like to play it's just uh the nba became became too difficult for me and um i just can't do it anymore and the roles that are out there for me they're not as appealing i don't enjoy them as much and for me and the family and moving around and maybe for half a year maybe for a whole year but it's not going to be for five years so it's hard to just move the whole family around that much. Um, so I, I don't envision myself playing in the NBA next year, uh, but I do want to play. I just don't know where yet. All right, Luis, thank you so much for taking some time. We really do appreciate it. Oh, it was a pleasure, guys. Thank you very much for having me. Thanks, Luis. All the best. Well, breaking news. Did he just announce his NBA retirement on our show? Uh, I mean, he, in a way, in a way, he's he's got a he's got a great point there. I mean, that's hard at, at, at in the latter stages of your career when you're signing one-year deals, and right. he, he's got a family that he's three, obviously very very close with. Three boys, or is it two boys? And it was great seeing. I mean, a lot of it, his his kids would be around yeah. the locker room uh, last year, and I mean, he, he's he's obviously a family man to be bouncing from city to, to city is not a, a great thing to do. Again, I, I think he embraced that opportunity in Brooklyn, uh, helping the younger guys. But as he said, it's not, he, he's such a competitor that it's probably hard not to, to go somewhere right. and, and sit on the bench and not right. play a big role. That's all for us here. We want to thank our guest, Jack Armstrong, Raptors analyst, Luis Scola, obviously just joining us now on the phone, and ESPN NBA write, reporter, excuse me, Dave McMiniman. If you want to get his book, it was Cavs2016.com or at your local bookstore and, and check it out. For Josh Lewinberg, Dwayne Watson, Steve Eliopoulos, Joe Narsa, and Andrew Nolan, I'm Meg McPeak. Ladies and gentlemen, don't forget to protect home court. Game one of round two goes Monday, 7 p.m. You can hear it right here on TSN 1050.